Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Gretchen Frazee along with my co-host Joe Wren. We're filling in for Bob Zaltzberg and Mary Catherine Carmichael today. Today we're talking about veterans issues. Several laws went into effect on Monday this week pertaining to veterans. So we're going to be discussing how those might be able to help those who've served and some of the concerns surrounding those laws. We hope you will join the conversation as well. You can call us at 855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition and send in your questions that way, or you can send us a tweet at noon edition. Let me introduce our guests. We're joined by Jim Brown, the director of the Indiana Department of Veterans Affairs, and Trudy Hefner, the associate director of financial aid at Ivy Tech Community College here in Bloomington. And we will be joined shortly by Dean Graham. He's the co-founder of the Help Indiana Vets Foundation. Thanks to all of you, all of, thanks to all of you for joining us. Thank Good you. Good to be here. So there are several laws we're going to be talking about today. And before we get to them, um, I should say that our listeners can find more information about each of these laws on our website. Again, that's wfiu.org slash noon edition. But let's start with um, kind of what seems like a simple one, the law that lowers the criteria for a veteran to receive a disabled license plate. Jim, can you give us a little bit more details about what that law actually does? Well, the... uh Thanks for having me, by the way. Uh, disabled Hoosier Veterans License Plate, um, there's a, a couple of things that have happened. It provides issuance for someone at the, for 100% disability that they can park in any one of these parking spots around the state. And then also um, from that, someone that's 50% disabled, that at least 30% of that 50% is uh, for a mobility issue. So there was a discussion on that. And uh, so that was the sum of that bill. Uh, and, uh, and then also uh, uh, Purple Heart Plates, uh, f- which is uh, Bill 563, there's free parking there as well for the same conditions, for someone that has a Purple Heart pr- Plate. And the... Um, initiative is speaking to people that their mobility um, like I'm 64 now and there's a Vietnam veteran and um, some of our veterans and folks that have those plates need to get a little closer for convenience and so it was in that manner that uh, this bill came about and was adjusted a little bit. How does it, how do people go about getting a plate like that or, or how do you make sure that they qualify for this? Well, they have to show proof of their disability so they can bring that in their DD-214 that will sh- show that they have a Purple Heart and to the license branch, and it's, it's handled there. It's rather quick, really. If you qualify, you'll have that information readily available. And then uh, the Bureau of Motor Vehicles uh, turnaround time is pretty fast, uh, and then you, of course, get a temporary plate while you wait for yours to come in the mail within about 10 days or less. Okay. Let's move on to a different bill that, Trudy, I think you've been dealing with, or you will be dealing with probably here, this in-state tuition for veterans. Um, as far as I understand, any veteran who's in Indiana or going to a school in Indiana gets in-state tuition no matter how long they've lived here. They don't have to go through all the residency requirements. Is that correct? Right. Um, it's really a great bill. However, Ivy Tech has actually been honoring this long before this bill went into place. So it's nice that we've already been doing it. It's not something we have to change um, in terms of what we are already doing. But I know some institutions would require students' residency to be in the state for X amount of time, and this will prevent them from doing that and allow the students to get an affordable tuition rate. So it's great. And Ivy Tech, I believe, also had a tuition freeze for veterans. Is that still the case? That is the case. Um, we've had a tuition freeze in place, I believe, that's been since 2009. Um, this year will be the first year that it goes up, but it's actually going to go up to what our current rate has been for a couple of years. And then um, our actual, you know, regular tr- traditional student rate is going up a little. So it's still less than what our traditional students will be paying. Okay. And how does that work? Is it the first year 
um, it's whatever the tuition is and then it just won't go up until they finish? Or how does that work? Um, well, it just depends on the, the veteran tuition freeze itself. It doesn't depend on when they start classes. Uh, I think the issue with that would be that we have so many students that start and stop and start and stop. So it's hard to find that that true starting point. So it, it is going to go up for all veterans this year, but it's been the first time in three years that it'll go up. And it's I think it's a couple dollars per, per credit hour. So, Jim, how does that help veterans? Well, having come home uh, a long time ago, uh, coming to the state here, you have within 12 months, you can, uh, and if you don't live here, you can immediately, after you get home, um, uh, you have one year to get registered in that. So you immediately uh, get into a course. Most of the things are offered under the GI Bill coming back from war. So it's a great initiative, much like uh, the end of World War II. There was education made available for careers. So if we want people uh, to stay in Indiana and get involved, uh, this bill is just a great initiative on the governor's part, very successful. And um, uh, it just lends itself to uh, the, the veteran getting busy and getting on their career. And instead of um, uh, getting caught up to where they hesitate and maybe do things that cause them to have a slow initiation getting back into society. So a wonderful way to get everybody jump-started, important thing for a veteran to get back, even if they have post-traumatic stress syndrome, is to immediately get busy. So this is a great bill for veterans and for Indiana, because they get an education here, raise a family, they have a career, buy a home, and they stay here. Do some of these bills that you mentioned, too, does it extend to the immediate family? When we're talking about veterans, are we talking about just the veteran or to their families? In many instances, uh, some of the bills and some of the GI benefits can pass down to children and or can be um, waived and given over to another family member for education. And how does this play into um, the other initiatives that the state has been doing in trying to get veterans jobs? I mean, we were talking about um, veterans having a very high unemployment rate um, for post-9-11 vets. It's 20 percent, which is just shocking to a lot of people. Um, so how, how does this play into that larger issue? Well, one of the initiatives for the governor is jobs. And, of course, when... Um, I interviewed for this opportunity. He wondered what my thoughts were, and I, I told him that, uh, as he already knew, that getting an education or getting skills-slash-trade jobs and getting started on that gets them on the road to employment. So I was talking to Trudy before the uh, we started here, and um, so Ivy Tech is the perfect uh, shining example of how to how to set them up for success, and they get rolling on that. Uh, we're working on uh, over 50 initiatives with different companies here in the state right now, and so looking at the skills required to get that job, so then we're out addressing the veteran uh, to make sure that they get signed up for these classes and they're covered under the GI Bill. So it's just hands-on. It's not hard. You just have to get out there and do this. But these bills uh, uh, support uh, what was already going on. As Trudy said, there's been a lot of good initiatives from the private sector in government, in law already, and in Ivy Tech took it upon themselves to be uh, uh, aggressive on this themselves. And proactive. So, you, know, you were talking about that 20% unemployment rate for Indiana's post 9-11. I was reading an article about the reason, part of the reason is that so many young veterans are unemployed is they say this disconnect between veterans and employers. What is that disconnect? Well, I think we've had a 10-year war. The preponderance of veterans in Indiana, there's no Fort Campbell, Fort Bragg, or a Navy base, or an enormous uh, full-time Air Force base, although we do have two air guard bases. So uh, the reservists have have gone maybe once to four times in the last 10 years. So then there's a, a, a lead time to getting ready for the deployment and then a post time coming down off the deployment. It's hard for them to reconnect into their job or for many of them, uh, they were 18 and 19 when they left in the series and now they're in their late 20s or some in their early 30s. They do not want to go back to an entry-level job 
for their when they've been given these responsibilities to run 18 vehicles in Iraq under fire. And so they didn't go to college because they've been gone for 10 years or getting ready to go or coming home. So now they're ready to come home, get settled. And it's really just happened with the cycle slowing down for the reserves in Indiana and some off-ramping. So it's 20.1%, but I think they can uh, get ready to go now. And, and then they have to get out there and do this themselves, and then we're contacting them, encouraging them. So what kind of jobs are these vets getting, and the ones who do come back and, and find jobs? What kind of jobs fit the skills that they have? And maybe even on the education side of that, you know, are they looking to be in certain fields? Are you seeing some kind of trend there? Right. Um, I definitely say that the majority of our students look at more of your medical careers, paramedic science, nursing. Um, we have a lot of business um, as well. Those would be the, the primary degrees. And possibly I, I would even throw in criminal justice uh, just because they seem to coincide with their background and their experiences they've had within the military. But then you also have others that come home that want to do something completely different, uh, which we respect. And we encourage them to do that. So. Dean Graham is now joining us. He's the co-founder of the Help Indiana Vets Foundation. Can you just tell us a little bit, we've been talking about um, vets coming home and how they can either get into education right away or, or find jobs. What are some of the things that you've been seeing with people coming home? The main need that I've realized is a lot of these uh, soldiers are coming back. I'll refer to them as soldier, Marine, Air Force, you name it. Um, they come back to families. They're thrown back sometimes from a National Guard uh, standpoint back into the regular National Guard after they've been on active duty. So they realize quite a change. And really, any help, and the most help that I've had as far as requests with Help Indiana Vets is financial. Um, and we don't have a system right now where the individuals can get financial assistance right away. Uh, there's a system through military relief with the uh, Indiana Department of Ver Veterans Affairs, um, which Jim Brown is in charge of, and um, which I think is a great system. But there's a time frame. There's 30 days. Uh, I'm, if Jim disagrees, I'd, I'd be happy to hear. Um, but... I, I believe that what we offer is immediate assistance. Um, thus far, we've received $20 in donations um, to our foundation. People are obviously leery about nonprofits. Um, we're solely Indiana. Um, we're located in Indianapolis, and we've helped many, and we've used our own money. Um, but I'm grateful for the opportunity. I appreciate you having us on. Well, let, let's stay on that topic for just a minute. But before we do, I just want to remind our listeners that you can join the conversation as well. You can call us at 812-855-0811 or toll-free 877-285-9348. We also have a live chat on our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition, or you can tweet us at noon edition. Jim, can you address this a little bit? I think that a lot of people know there is a VA backlog. People aren't getting the services as quickly as they would like. What is Indiana doing to try to correct that problem? Well, uh, what Dean just mentioned is they're getting home uh, prior to, and the Army and, uh, and the Marine Corps who've done the bulk of the ground fighting um, and in the last t 10 years, um, uh, they get home now the army I can speak for them uh, the guardsmen are in the active army while they're overseas and so the army has caught on to the fact that as they begin to wind down their deployment that they're making them show uh, making them show the command there that they are made allowances for school education and their return to work um, and so they're doing that now. Earlier, uh, say 2004 to 2011, or uh, they haven't done that. So then you could be the the uh, shift commander at a police department uh, somewhere with 17 people, and then come back two years later, and you're now the daytime sergeant again. And so then it's uh, uh, you got your job back. Uh, so. 
there's more time spent now on on the veteran returning that they're prepared to go back to work. However, it is on incumbent on them, just like the, I alluded to, being in charge of a convoy and all the responsibilities of preparation for that with all the innovations on these vehicles and things. Uh, so they handle those responsibilities. They also have to pick up that they have responsibilities and they have to get back after it. So there's yellow ribbon programs when they get home. Uh, there are some opportunities for unemployment that they're eligible for uh, if they choose that. And then uh, some of the educational skill sets that they'll need to do uh, to get considered for the jobs that are available out there. Out there. So some of this is on the veteran. And then uh, as the 501c3s, which we're very grateful for, there's close to 300 of them that work in Indiana for veterans, and they offer different things, all good things. Uh, so we're happy to have 501c3s and, and benevolence that's out there for the veterans. Uh, they're going to have to stop just like they do an operations order, and they're going to have to do one for themselves to get back at it. And that's why we're opening the Veterans uh, uh, Service Center just outside my office door is to answer questions uh, for needs and plus uh, redoing our website that comes online just after Labor Day. But I don't disagree what Dean has said. Uh, and and the cycle, a lot of them haven't done anything because they knew that they could get on another deployment. Even if, So if they're an infantryman, they could go with an MP unit. And they've been doing that for 10 years, I know, because I've been the state command sergeant major over that time. And, and prior to that, the division command sergeant major. So I watched them and how we did it to meet uh, the uh, combatant commander's request from the Army. So we're at a point where it's 20.1% unemployment. They need to get ready to go back to work now. There's not another iteration of deployments for them. So it's, it's where we're at, and now what do we do about it? And it's they need to go to school. They need some encouragement. And then it's incumbent on our department and uh, the uh, 501c3s, everybody to help, churches and families. Don't forget the family. And so they can mentor those moms and dads uh, can get in there, too. I see a lot of success coming. And because some of the areas that we were disappointed in um, are being worked and addressed somewhat slowly. But if you read your history book, we're a country that we're slow to get boots for Valley Forge. Uh, so nothing's changed that way too much if you go through our, the end of our nation's wars. How does someone apply for these benefits when, when they're coming home? It seems like a lot of paperwork and maybe something they're not used to dealing with. Um, can you just maybe walk us through that process? Who do they go to? Is there someone at the county or city level that they can I would, match up I with? would ask them to please call me. And I'll give you my cell phone right now. It's 317-610-9779. And that's what I'm there for. Um, I'm a disabled Iraq veteran. I was also retired by the Army. Um, Command Sergeant Major Brown, I'm, I'm happy to hear that he took over for the Indiana Veterans Affairs. Tom Applegate was there prior to him, and he did a fine job as well. I do want to point out one thing, and that is there's a House bill right now, and then Senate bill that's trying to go through, and this is where we split ways because I don't agree with, I can't remember the bill number, but it refers to taking money from the military relief fund and putting it towards the veteran service officers. Now, I should stop you when you say it's in the House. Are you talking about in Congress? No, or in, in the, the state, state House. House. Okay, go ahead. Correct. And this morphed into. I was actually talking with Mike Speedy, Representative Mike Speedy, on on a bill to help veterans. And it, with Tom Applegate's help, it morphed into giving veteran service officers more training and taking 180000 out of the military relief fund, which is the monies available to our soldiers who are coming back that need that financial assistance. So I was a little bit up in arms. <laughs> And really, 
I didn't appreciate the fact that they would do that. I, I wanted a new program, and, and Command Sergeant Major Brown just mentioned that he took and opened an office separate to answer questions. That's a wonderful step in the right direction. That, that gives a veteran somewhere to come, a door front or whatever, so they can find out what's available to them. Or they can call my phone number, and I'll let them know as well. Um, I've referred quite a few to uh, Jim Brown, to, you know, the people that have called me that I couldn't assist. Um, But for the most part, if they're going through a medical board process, if they're uh, currently getting out or they know they're coming out and they're injured, don't hide it when they're going through their three- to five-day demobilization. That's your time to say, look, I have an issue that I'm dealing with and let the medical community know that. But there's kind of been a disdain for people that do it and and point that out because, you know, eventually your unit, they feel like you're not healthy, you can't help them, and they kind of turn their backs on you. We need healthy soldiers that can pass their PT test, and once you can't do that, you're, you're no good. Um, not saying no good as a person, but you're you're no good as a, a facility to help, you know, the service. So I, ju- I just hope that people will take the time out during that stage and say, look, you know, I've got this injury, I've got this injury or whatever, um, and point it out. I think I, I came across somewhere where I did read, is it 40 percent of veterans didn't know about a lot of the uh, benefits or help that was out there? Do you think that comes from just frustration of dealing with having to go through it, or, or do they really don't know what, what's all out there? Well, it's that as well. If you get on the Internet, you can Google practically anything now. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, they, they're focused. Every, every day is focused. We have people like Command Sergeant Major Brown that are – directing us each and every day and as you go up the nco ladder you start to learn more computer you know savvy type skills you know i'm speaking for somebody that's 50 years old so we didn't have computers like we do now Um, but i learned it going through the channels and actually using it but um, you can google you know anything to do with veterans and i'm sure millions of things will pop up but for indiana i'm hoping that our site's popping up because I truly will help them. To address your question more from an educational perspective, Mm -hmm. um, as far as the timing and and things like that it takes them to go through, there is a backlog in the process. And student veterans especially feel that when they're going back to school because they're fresh out of the military. They have no money. They have no job. Um, We are where they're coming uh, because they know that there is money to go to school, which is a great incentive. That's, you know, part of the reason some of them joined the military to begin with. Um, But I think just speaking from Ivy Tech's perspective, we have something great in place because we can guide them through the process. We do give them, you know, directions on here's how to apply. Here's, you know, how long it's going to take. There are great websites um, for them to monitor their benefits. Educationally speaking, um, it's called eBenefits, and a lot of students Mm -hmm. utilize that. It's it's a great website. Mm -hmm. Um, But the processing time to even get a benefit started can take six to eight weeks, and that's assuming that you don't have anything wrong with your, your records because the VA on the educational side is just really a basically a third-party contractor with the DOD. So there is there's some lag time with that, and there's a lot of frustration that students feel, I think, um, when dealing with that. But we do have a great system in place, and we definitely walk them through the process from the beginning to the end, not just on the veteran benefit side, but also on the college side, because that can be scary going, you know, going from being in the military and trying to get reintegrated with civilian life again. So I think that we have something really great with that. Jim, you want to respond? Yeah, just in response to Dean, um, there was um, some uh, opposition to taking $180,000 out of the relief fund. Uh, currently, uh, this last year, uh, seven hundred, over 700 and just a little over 700000 went into the fund. Uh, taking 180000 out then, using ballpark math, leaves a half a million dollars going into the fund. Again, uh, there's seven million dollars in the fund. It's been operating since uh, after 2007. So then, over the years, it's only spent a million dollars. 
So then there's leaves seven million dollars in there. One of the other things that has been a concern from all veterans and like being a Vietnam veteran as well is why isn't there a relief fund for us? Well, if you take this hundred and eighty thousand dollars at the time because of the way the legislative cycle works and the uh, the next two years are already locked in, uh, they did an immediate uh, uh, decision to take it out of that fund because no one is failing to get any relief right now because there's seven million dollars in there so I sign these relief uh, requests almost every day so we've only turned two or three down since I've been there because they didn't meet the criteria uh, and then we always point them somewhere where they might get help but uh, so then I'm happy that they did it in that all veterans gain from each county commissioner being compelled to have their county veteran service officer become accredited with the VA. So then they're more knowledgeable and they're trained, they're equipped and have the software to get benefits in for people, Korean War veterans, uh, uh, Vietnam veterans. So this money is helping all veterans. So it's kind of an answer to some of the concerns that were addressed from the very people that feel that the well, representatives were uh, dipping into the cookie jar and actually uh, actually, it's, it's using money uh, in between the opportunity to expand a bill or create a different bill, which would be 2016. We're going to get right back to this, but we're going to take a short break. So um, if everybody will stay with us, we're talking about some veteran laws that have gone into effect this week. Um, we'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU with you by downloading our podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting south-central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Gretchen Frazee, in with Joe Wren today. We are talking about veterans' issues here in Indiana. Several laws went into effect this week aimed to assist veterans here in the state. Um, we've been talking about some of those with Trudy Hefner, the Associate Director of Financial Aid at Ivy Tech Community College here in Bloomington, Dean Graham, the co-founder of Help Indiana Vets Foundation, and Jim Brown, Director of the Indiana Department of Veterans Affairs. We want to remind you that you can join us, too. You can join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. You can give us a call at 812-855-0811, or you can follow us on Twitter and send us a tweet at Noon Edition. Dean, I think you wanted to respond to what Jim said just before I do, the break. And, and with all due respect, he, he truly is one of our Indiana heroes. Um, we Right now, the Veterans Administration, I'm talking about not Jim Brown's portion of it for the state of Indiana, but the federal Veterans Administration down on Pennsylvania Avenue in Indianapolis is, is 30,000, approximately 30,000 files behind. So the bill that we're talking about you're going to train veteran service officers to make a complete veterans package to send to a backlog that's already two and a half years behind. When training and that backlog is going to negate anything that you've just done to train those veteran service officers, you can hand them whatever you want, but it's going to go in the same pile two and a half years back as all the other things that are waiting. And I know... With the monies that, that Jim explained that's in the coffer for the Military Relief Fund, I've done this for almost three years now since I was, you know, retired by the Army. I took this up, and me and my wife have done this. But 
the amount of veterans I've talked to and the amount of veterans that we've helped, we've spent nearly $20,000 of our own money to help these veterans. Um, when you have million, a million-some dollars sitting in a military relief fund, and I'm listening to these phone calls every day, there's something wrong with that. Um, you know, this should be an issue for the Indiana Veterans Affairs. Take it up. Mm-hmm. You know, but don't, don't make it where you've got to fill out a form, give them your whole financial history, and to, to get approved for a military relief um, grant. You know, this should be a one-day process. It should be the veteran coming in with their DD-214, an explanation of what they're going through, and a decision made at that point, and a check cut. You know, I'm all for having revenue, and I'm all for having, you know, money in the bank, so to speak. But I I really have got a problem when you've got that much money sitting aside with the amount of veterans that I've talked to. Just in the last two days, I've talked to a female and a male veteran each one of them, all they wanted was money for food. Now, that's a shame. And there's no reason with, the, with 30 days to get approved for a military relief fund. I'm sure that Jim Brown can change that. I'm sure that being the director, along with the governor, they can change this. And they can make it where they can get help on the spot. I'd like to move on to a different law that went into effect, and that's talking about um, giving veterans preference on state contracts. I think this is something a lot of people are familiar with, especially with minorities and women, small business owners. But maybe it's a little bit new for people to think, oh, veterans, you know, would get preference as well. Um, But one of the issues I know that when it was being debated in the legislature was um, some senators or, yeah, some senators had said that – they thought maybe there would be some constitutional issues with this because they, we, in order to provide preferences, you basically have to prove that these people have been at a disadvantage. So, Jim, can you maybe address this a little bit? Is there any kind of um, statistics or, or any study that has been done showing that maybe veterans aren't getting a fair shake when it comes to state contracts? Well, to my knowledge, uh, I'm uh, again, I'm happy to see that this uh, veteran uh, for small business owners uh, owned by veterans are getting this opportunity because it gets them started on their way. So heretofore, there hasn't been a consideration like this. So the veterans, and because in other conversations that we have like this, there some companies don't want to hire a veteran because they're afraid that anything that they brought back from the war, they may not be a a good employee in some circumstances, but they never want to say it publicly. Well, uh, veterans know this, and then they have as much college, and now they're back from the war, and they have, um, they might move rather rapidly through uh, the education process, and they want to start their own business. So what this does, basically, with this bill that's already passed, just like House Bill 1387 is now law as of this past week as well. Um, th- this affords them the, some consideration as a small business or newly formed to be considered for some of these uh, state contracts for different things. I would say that um, oftentimes the preponderance of these small businesses would be in service-related and be, would be a part of a larger contract providing a subservice. But... Uh, um, because that would mean if they weren't that, then they're already well-established. But this gives them an inroad into sometimes what's been a closed market for different things. So it's an it's an opportunity and a consideration beyond minority-owned, and, and it's, it's just another area for consideration. I think it'll uh, add to veterans staying along with their career, building small businesses, and or um, finding themselves having the ability to break into some of these markets due to this law. Indianapolis already has it, and they have a number of small businesses that are getting in uh, parts of the contracts that are uh, germane to their company that they hold themselves out for those services. So there's a whole new list of small business people in Indianapolis who's done this for three years rather than the going to the same resources over and over again. Uh, going out two or three times a week, uh, this uh, veteran-owned small business opportunity or how do I begin a small business are as much a question 
as uh, where do I find a career job and the skill. So it, they really struck on something here. Kudos to Mike Pence. What percentage was it for veteran-owned three, business? 3% uh, that uh, say you let a contract for uh, something that the state wants, that you need to consider within that the, uh, the person applying for the contract needs to consider in a factor in, uh, amongst the other ones, of a consideration for a veteran-owned business. And I would... S- I saw the 3%, and that's mm-hmm. why I asked. I had yeah. seen reference to that bill, and 3% seemed like a mighty small figure when you figure 97% of the other small business startups are not veteran-owned. Some of these, uh, if I was building a runway and I'm a paving company... Uh, the, I, if, if that small business uh, offers something uh, to get involved in that, it may not be – they may not be a paving company, but they may offer the shuttle service for remote parking mm-hmm. for that job, something like that. If you make it too high, you then stop what was already in place. So someone that has the wherewithal to get the contract will get it. Someone starting and has basically a service business, mm-hmm. they'll they'll be able to get a part. Uh, and that's why the uh, minority and other consideration women-owned business, uh, if they have the wherewithal to be a major uh, supplier, then, then they'll get that business. This gets them in the door, gets them started, because sometimes it appears that it seems to be locked out for new people by city, state, or federal things. They go. To Would the, you agree we have about a half million veterans in the state of Indiana? Certainly. About and 1% of the state population. Well, half a million. We're at, what, a little over 6 million population in the state. And of okay. that half a million, 240,000 are still in the workforce. 30,000 are unemployed, or, or 30,000 are post-911 vets, of which 6,000 are unemployed, and that's the 20.1. Thank you. And then that's a 3%. That's why I was focused on that number. Well, if you make it too large, you're <laughs> going to throw off the people that actually can get the contract and then they're letting someone get an addendum service to this. So it's well, there's a lot of veterans right now that coming back that I'm sure have ideas in mind as to what they want to be, whether it be a lawn care business or whatever. If if there was actually opportunity available for them, you know, to get that up and running, I imagine you would you would see a great deal more. Governor is open through the lieutenant governor's office. Uh, just this last week through executive order, a small business uh, creation, and they can get all the information they need. They can file a, you know, an LLC very quickly with or without an attorney and get started and get that advice. Plus, they can go to the Small Business Administration mm-hmm. and get going. Uh, when I got home, I used my money from that I saved from being in the jungle and invested in vehicles and started a transportation business at once. I didn't ask anybody. I went after contracts with the city and state and did it. These magnificent people that are home from war and young Mm -hmm. can do the same thing with their savings. They have more benefits than ever before, paved by the World War I and World War II veterans and their needs. Uh, They camped in Washington, D.C. after World War I, and that's what started this. That's why up in Indianapolis we have the World War I Memorial mm-hmm. and the Veterans uh, uh, American Legion headquarters there. That was from all that. Trudy, are you seeing a lot of people wanting to start their own businesses coming back? You know, on the educational side, we don't hear a lot of students talking about that because they have a career in mind um, outside of running their own business. So when they come to us, it's more of, you know, I, I want to be in law enforcement or I want to be, you know, nursing or paramedic science it just varies um but not to say that there aren't those students out there um i mean i've been doing this uh, for a little over five years and i can think of a couple of students who absolutely that was their primary goal was to start their own business and i know one of the the students for sure he was able to successfully do that um, but he finished his degree with us first Um, i think the great uh, thing about Bloomington is they have a wonderful, uh, the Cook Entrepreneur Center helps uh, people here locally start businesses. So that's another great opportunity for them to reach out and utilize something here in this, in Bloomington. So 
you know, I came across too where I see the Labor Department was uh, featuring a website for women vets issues, and I was wondering maybe um, we only have what, about fifteen minutes, thirteen minutes left. If we can touch a little bit about uh, women vets and what issues that they're facing. Well, the co-founder of Help Indiana Vets, along with me, is my wife, and she was in the Army as well. Um, and we can tell you firsthand from the, the veterans that we've talked to, education is, is a big part. Um, but quickly, I did that. I tried the education route through the VA, and I took one course. I was doing the online where you could um, do a course within five weeks, you know, knock out the credits for a particular area. And I found that to be an eight-hour-a-day sitting at the computer at home challenge, you know. And I, I took one course, passed it, got in the second one, ran into some trouble, and said, you know what, I'm, I'm devoting my whole day to this. Um, it's a challenging thing when, again, you're coming from something that was very structured as well as the schooling and the, the services are very structured. They'll teach you a great deal in a small amount of time. So your mind says, okay, I can handle this overload. I can do this because I did it when I was in the service. But when reality sets in, and you're, I, would, I would recommend to all veterans who want to go back to college to go to the college. Don't do it online at home. Go to somewhere like Ivy Tech and actually sign up. Let your credits for some of your schools work for you. You know, you can get credit for things that you've done in the service and have them transfer into credits for your school. Um, mine actually accredited almost an associate's degree just to start off. So it's very, very beneficial. Just to add to that, on the, on the federal side, the um, government initiated a program called VRAP, which was the Veterans uh, Retraining Assistance Program. Uh, I believe that started last year, and it will end in April of 2014. But that is specifically designed for veterans who do not have educational benefits left, who are unemployed, and it pays for them to go back to school. So they're getting paid just as if they were an active-duty military member, which right now if they're full-time, it does require full-time student status, but they, they get about $1,500 a month to go to school and to get the training that they need to go back into the workforce and, and be successful. So that's something that, not just from an Indiana perspective, but, you know, nationwide perspective that's being done for our veterans that I think is pretty awesome. Dean, you talked about, you know, it's good to go into the classroom so you don't get distracted and right. everything, but, but that's not... That's not possible for a lot of people. I, going back to what Joe was talking about, those Department of Labor statistics show that um, women are women veterans are eleven percent of them are raising their children alone, compared to four percent of men. I mean, if you talk about you know one in ten women have to raise their kids and try to go to school and, and try very to get a job. Good point. How do how do very they do that? Very, it's very difficult, and I give the ones that are doing that utmost credit. It, it, it really is time-consuming, you know, and, and having children involved as well. Um, a lot of these veterans, when they come back, they, like Command Sergeant Major said, they may be going back to their regular job. So maybe an online would be their only opportunity. Um, but I would say don't jump in and try and do a full load <laughs> like I did. Um, for me, it was very, very taxing. Are there so. programs to help with that? Yeah, I think that um, students have to be realistic with themselves and what they can realistically accomplish. And I think a huge part of it is having a support system, um, in addition to the college being a support system, because we do offer tutoring and things like that. And we, we know of places in the community that can help with child care and thing, you know, different things in regards to that. But they have to be realistic with themselves that they do have these kids, and that is a full-time responsibility. So maybe taking one or two classes at a time versus four or five, um, which would, you know, obviously get you done quicker, but it's not the most successful route. And we want them to be successful. We want them to complete and to succeed in what, and, and, you know, meet their goals. So they just have to be realistic in that full-time may not be the best option for them. But there's there's financial aid in addition to the, the veteran benefits that they're receiving. So it's not just a, a one option for them. There's multiple options. And I think they just have to be realistic with that. So. Well, the VA backlog also, I don't know if everyone realizes that, that affects it. If, they, if they've not been found disabled by the VA, they're not entitled to the, I think it's Chapter 33 maybe, benefits that I'm thinking of. 
and that that's where they'll pay you while you're going to school um, through the Veterans Administration. But with a two-and-a-half-year backlog, again, we're back to square one because they're coming home with the need and the want, and, and there's a two-and-a-half-year backlog that, that stops that in its tracks. I think a lot of what we've been talking about is, is our issues that veterans are facing nationally when they come back from the wars. Um, is there anything specifically unique to Indiana that when they come back, they're facing maybe a different environment that their counterparts in other states would be facing? No, I, th- I think we're – If I really what I would like to see is that we focus just on Indiana veterans. You know, whether it be, you know, Indiana jobs, we're always for that. Let's focus on, like I said, there's 500,000 of them. So let's focus on the veterans and just not worry about the entire country right now. But when it comes to federal, we can't do that because the the VA regional office downtown, they're part of the federal. So, you know, there's no rush to fix that. That's why I called on Representative Speedy to introduce a bill that would say, okay, we're going to take responsibility for our veterans and we're going to do this and take it not out of the hands of the federal government, but while they're backlogged and they're doing their thing, we'll show them how we do it here in the Hoosier State, and we'll take care of our veterans. So looking at it more from a state perspective. Then. Correct. And that's, for our listeners, Dean, Dean Graham, the co-founder of Help Indiana Vets Foundation. Jim, the director of the Indiana Department of Veteran Affairs, do you want to follow up on that? Well, uh, because uh, Hoosiers, for the most part, uh, and their reservists, by and large, uh, leaving Indiana to serve the last 12 years when you add in the Balkans War, they fall under federal GI Bill benefits. So when they get back, uh, like Dean alluded to, that there's this backlog. So our goal is to produce fully developed claims for pension, disability, uh, and then for them, uh, it's not backlog that much and is there's a better response time towards uh, getting schools so uh, they can help themselves uh, the soldier the women included or the veteran and females included are the authors of their future so they get after it as women always do um, uh, so with this uh, the federal GI Bill, we work closely in Indianapolis for the region with Mike Stevens, the director. He's uh, doing a lot of initiatives to accelerate things, uh, doing a very good job. They are backlogged. I myself, my claim is wrapped up in there for some months as well. So we just need to stay at it. And then things that we change now. Uh, there is a future out there. At some point, the lines cross to where the initiatives that we do now will come across and they'll, they'll meet the, the line of the Veterans Affairs nationally, um, the VA administration, where they get caught up. They've just really gone to computers on claims this year. So two years from now will be better than this year. So our goal is to pass good claims, provide statewide service, and then when they begin to catch up on these GI Bill initiatives, then why wait until they get caught up and then we then submit bills when it means that we have to get the veteran out of their house uh, and then start the process? We would just assume that it be in the process and in the pipeline already. One, one other thing, uh, women's issues are more than just education. Women are so detail-oriented and so successful at everything they set their mind to, but they also, uh, also spin many plates. So then they will avail themselves to online courses because of their other responsibilities, and they'll be successful there. Women are challenged by th- things and events that have occurred, sexual harassment and abuse overseas, which I saw in Afghanistan. So there are women's issues. Issues other than education, we are addressing it, and we, our office, joins the local VA hospital and surrounding hospitals in the state. They have women's conferences, women's health uh, symposiums, and within that, it gives them opportunities for benefits for their own health, for their family, because they do it all, as always. But you're speaking from the, the top, and what I'm asking you to do is to draw a target on Indiana veterans and zero that pointer right there. And and what we're doing is we're doing everything around it. We're creating, you know, this new program to treat 
you know, train the veteran service officers? Why are we going out of bounds instead of just zeroing in on the problem? And the well, problem is our veterans are coming back. They're coming back injured. They're being kicked out of the Army when they're injured. Sure. I know that for a fact. Just keep in mind, too, we're about two minutes. Okay. okay. So Sorry. We have to wrap up here. But anyway, long story short, let, let's help the veterans today. Let's not talk about next year. Well, and, and we get to today and how it is because things weren't done two or three or four years ago. So we're taking steps on all that. We're out seven days a week doing that uh, in our own cars and spending our own money out of our pocket. It probably cost me $1,500 a month as a command sergeant major for 10 years for things that needed to happen immediately. So we're doing that, but we have to do it all. So I'm happy that we are addressing it. We can't make the federal government do anything, and then we have to I'm wait. I'm not talking about the federal government, Sergeant Major. We I'm have, to, we have to wait for the next iteration of legislation is what we'll do that. And that's 2016. We're talking to legislators now about what we can do this year to change wording, like on this House bill, because we're not sending Indiana Hoosiers in great numbers to the war now. So then the bill that we have for the relief fund, there won't be anybody to worry about the three-year clause. No, you have no people one will right now, Sergeant Major. I, I'm not, you think I'm kidding when I said I talked to a female and male veteran in the last two days that called and all they needed was some food. That's wrong. Well, and, and there's hundreds of ways for them to get the food, and we deal with that every day around the clock until my wife tells me to put the BlackBerry down. I would be happy if you would send me the links for that, and I'll be, I'll be happy to. Sure. Well, and obviously this discussion can continue on and on, and we're so glad that you were here to at least get it going. But you can go to our website, WFIU.org, and click on a Noon Edition there. Thank you, and God bless you all. Thank you all for being here. We do want to thank our producers, Jimmy Jenkins and Emily Wright, along with our engineer, Stuart Norton. And thanks, Joe, for filling in as well. Thank you. You're listening, you've been listening to Noon Edition. Thanks for joining us. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.